Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast, another week in our series titled Emotions. So what do we do with anxiety? Let's go ahead and jump in and see what God's word has for us with our lead pastor, Antoine Lassiter. I am anxious about going into week four, which happens to be on anxiety. And so each week, uh, the preceding week and the week of, every sermon that's been preached, whether it's anger or shame, let me just be 100% transparent. Boy, I'm going through. And uh, it brings a whole nother element to preaching God's message. I was reminded this week um, that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And then there's the last few, I got this text, this last few words were remember who you are. And what's interesting is oftentimes, um, Darrell, we can get into the habit of preaching messages or quoting scriptures or actually uh, posting cliches that we have not lived. But every once in a while, bruh, that that which you post, that's what you believe, that what you believe, all those things come and test you. Do you remember the points that you shared a couple weeks ago? And um, the problem with this emotion series is that it's revealing areas of our, no, areas of my life that I'm not healed from. And so it's difficult to be vulnerable while at the same time understanding that I'm not the standard and neither are you. And and so um, God has revealed open wounds. Now, now this is a church family, so I just want you to be honest. It's just me and you talking. Uh, How many have discovered over the past few weeks you got some open wounds? Thank you for not letting me be out there by myself. Um, Appreciate it. Um, And the more we dig, the more that wound is exposed. I often tell a story about a guy I went to high school with. And and, uh, when he was younger, I think he got hit by a car. uh, He broke his leg. And uh, the doctor set that leg wrong. And as he grew up, it had an extreme bow to it. It was written, so he would walk with a limp, and it would be, it would it would be an exaggerated limp, uh, limp because his leg was broken. The doctor said it wrong, and it bowed, it bowed. It was just it was just an extreme thing. So when we got into high school, um, I asked him. I was like, "Man, what happened to your leg?" And so he goes into the story about him getting hit by a car and how the doctor said it wrong and the bone grew wrong. And I was like, "Wow!" And uh, I said, "Did it hurt?" He said, "He said it doesn't hurt now, but now I walk with this limp." I said, "Man, can it be fixed?" He said, "Yeah, it can." But in order for them to fix it, they have to re-break the leg and set it back. And that healing would take longer, so he decided to just walk with the limp. 
So when God begins to exercise, or I'm sorry, when God begins to, to perform surgery on us, it's the doctor's recommendation to break that leg, reset, it's going to be painful, but on the other side of it, you will be able to walk healthy. But the doctor can only determine the course of action or treatment. The patient must give consent. And, and, and I'm sure that for many of us, it's hard because inadvertently, there's trigger warnings throughout this whole message. And you and I have been triggered. And the trauma that's been floating out there is, is, is now wide open and boldly standing before you. And the question begins, the, the, the question is, what are we going to do about it? And, and so even when it isn't comfortable, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you, keep moving forward. Even when we feel attacked, keep moving forward because healing is on the other side. Uh, last week we talked about I think, I believe, I behave. And so this determines what we are truly becoming. Uh, we often say, that's just the way I am. And it's really an excuse to remain immature. Our uh, behavior uh, can be explained, but it doesn't mean it should be excused. Um, God works in our hearts to get everything that shouldn't be out of us. But here's the crazy part. God never fails you. He just, keeps, he just keeps allowing us to repeat the grade. That's what's challenging. This is not social promotion. This is not grading by a curve. It's, oh, man, you messed up. Okay, no problem. You get to redo it. Oh, you messed up again. No problem. You just get to redo it. So we can choose um, our relationships. We can choose. We have the freedom of choice. So we can jump from one relationship to another relationship. We can jump from one thing to another thing. And God just sits back. No worries. You messed up. I love you. It's time to repeat it. And so that's the beauty of God. And it seems for many of us that we're all in the same boat. And God uses the trauma in our lives to develop us. God uses it all. And if you want the fullness of God, you must experience life fully. It's the suffering and the resurrection. It's the crown, but you can't get the crown if you don't go through the cross. So it's this balance. And it's easier to walk with a limp than to undergo the process of reconstruction. We have to be able to handle the criticism, the rejection, the heartache. Here's a news flash. If you won't glorify God in the valley, you won't glorify him on the mountaintop. That's the realization of what we are talking about. This word is testing us. God loves us enough to reveal to us what's in our own hearts. Because many of us, don't know, because we are still learning ourselves. And for others, we may know what pushes our buttons, but it's our responses that need work. 
You never really fail. You just keep retaking the test. Because remember, emotions are gauges, not guides. They're indicators, not instructors. And doing what we feel can contradict God. And so the foundation of this are the six points I wanted to put on the screen real fast. Um, Number one, God created us to live in relationship with himself, ourselves, and with others. You ain't by yourself, bad English, but you're not. Number two, we can fully know ourselves. We can fully know ourselves, and we can fully experience life. Number three, the people around us should never be the collateral damage while we're healing. Number four, everyone on earth that has experienced hurt and pain has to be led out of it. You can't lead yourself out of it. That's hard because what that means, you have to be vulnerable. And who wants to do that? Number five, God wants our pretty and our ugly. He wants all of you. Number six, boy, I've been wrestling with this, Tiffany. God desires his children to love each other like we've never been hurt. Man, that's hard. I'm not, not going to repeat that no more. That's just too hard. So week two, we talked about anger, the monster within. And the anger can be sparked uh, by unmet needs, unmet expectations, or insecurity. And anger can lead us to weaponize our wounds. So sometimes we deny, we manipulate, we blame, and we justify our behavior to mask our own hurt. And the remedy is, number one, to acknowledge the anger, ask God for help, and release it. Uh, Check out week number two. Week number three... Uh, That was a fun one. Um, Shame, out of the shadows. Shame begins with entertaining and believing a lie. Remember Genesis chapter 3? The lie comes against who God is and who God says we are. It's the whole internal working model. It's rooted in how we see the world. I think, I believe, I behave. So if I see the world as a safe place, I generally think people are safe. If I see the world as a dangerous place, I got my guns blazing. It's your internal working model. So unchecked wounds leads to offenses, easily offended. And here's how it leaks. It leaks through complaints. Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so oftentimes when we have, when we are offended or we have unchecked wounds, watch what you say. Because it will actually lead to, if, if, if we're mature, it will actually lead to a place that we have to take responsibility and stop shoving it to other people. Uh, wounds can be like the Jahari window. And again, it's known to others, known to self Uh, Not known to self, but known to others are blind spots. You can't see it. Um, Not known to others or known to self, it promotes wearing a mask. (laughs) Yeah, like this, promotes wearing a mask. Okay, too soon, too late, just not funny. All right, known to self, not known to others. It's the question mark. It's we don't know what you'll do if you stump your toe. We don't know how you're going to react. You might punch a window. Who knows? So sometimes we're in a situation that you've never been in and you don't know. That's why when tragedy 
Um, when tragedy happens to us, uh, man, it can be a beautiful thing because you start seeing people come together. But also it can be an ugly thing. Just watch The Walking Dead. Okay. Wow, none of my jokes are landing. Let me just get back to the scripture. How about that? Uh, for many of us, we are in a season of discovery. Uh, if we already know the areas, then we are in a season of choosing between asking God for help or continuing on our path. And here's what I presuppose to you, my, pre- my presupposition. The most basic battle of a Christ follower or a disciple's life is, to bat- is the battle to believe in God and who Jesus is while guarding our hearts against becoming evil. That's the basic of it. That I, at the same time, I have to believe who God says he is. I have to believe who Jesus says he is, while at the same time protecting my heart against the assaults and the repercussions and the consequences of sin. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 and 3. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments in every proud thing that is raised up against what? The knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The constant washing of our minds with the word Remaining prayerful, engage in community is echoed throughout the scriptures. And that's why the Hebrews writer says, don't be like some that forsake the assembly or not neglecting the gathering. This is how we provoke love and good works. So we are reminded to pray without stopping. And we are warned in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We are constantly being shaped into how this world thinks, how it responds, but we are told constantly not to be. It's only when we aren't that we can uh, discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I submit to you that our emotions are a gift from God. I once read that our minds enable us to think, our wills enable us to choose, so our emotions enable us to respond. Grief, for example, example, explains the impact a person has had on your life. Emotions give us depth and meaning. In other words, um, we grieve at loss because the person that was lost had impact on us. So when we live an impaired life, we deny how we truly feel. And God has never, God did not um, design us to deny that we're grieving. Um, We can glorify God with our emotions Yet, like, 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 think about this. Shame can keep us humble and allow us to empathize with others. So, but denying that we have shame or denying ourselves uh, will actually deny the most human part of ourselves. 
So anger can provoke a response to make a change. Anger can uh, anger against injustice will lead a person to run for a senator. Uh, uh, run, run for um, senate. Uh, anger can be the emotion that helps fuel change. So week number four, anxiety, the internal enemy. Let me start off by saying all of us struggle with anxiety in some shape or form. So I'm literally talking to all of us. Webster defines anxiety as apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. Anxiety is something that consume us. If left to its own devices, anxiety would take over our thoughts, wreak havoc all over our minds, and cause us to be frozen. Uh, but let's face it, we are overwhelmed with worry and anxiety, perhaps more so than any of us will uh, be willing to admit. We're overcommitted, we're overwhelmed, and we're overstressed personally and professionally. The World Health Organization has labeled anxiety the health epidemic of the 21st century. And much of this can be explained by the fact that there appears to be more to worry about. From pandemics, social unrest, political turmoil, racial divides, there is not a shortage of stuff to worry about it. Some of us right now, because I mention it, is worried. And the first thing that we have to do if we're going to combat um, and confront anxiety is to admit it. Uh, we live in a broken world, uh, so to some extent, anxiety is and will be all around us, but it doesn't have to live in us. And if it's in us, it doesn't have to live in us for long. Uh, Proverbs 12 and 25. I have read Proverbs about seven, eight times. I've never seen this scripture. You may have, but Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. There's something about anxiety. Anxiety is like having a talk show host uh, in your head. It's an internal critic. Uh, anxiety is, you know you're going to flunk that test tomorrow, right? I study, I prepare it. Nah, you're still going to flunk. Anxiety is, I need the job, got to have the job, but probably won't get the job. Why? Because you're not good enough. Anxiety is an internal critic that constantly reminds you something bad is about to happen. Um, uh, internal, the internal critic is strengthened by external circumstances. I told you. Uh, the, the anxiety drown, drowns out truth and is a cousin to fear. Anxiety tells you what can't happen or won't happen for you. And this is what makes anxiety so dangerous. Anxiety even shortens celebrations because there's something bad that's lurking around the corner. Uh, but if we don't admit we have it, it will continue to weigh us down. And when our wounds lead us, we believe that being vulnerable is losing control. And we can't admit that quite possibly we're not in control. 
So internally, we're shaking like this, while publicly, we're like this. Give an example. Uh, I'm, I'm opening my, 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 my heart now. Um, if you are close to me, you know me and height, we don't get along. We never spoken. Um, I hate him. And uh, I, lead my, I lead my life around avoiding height. I mean, seriously. Now, that's fear. But here's where anxiety kicks in. So if I'm going to an unfamiliar place, I'm already plotting height, height avoidance. So I went to Nashville a couple weeks ago, and uh, beautiful city, if you like heights. And so I'm sitting at the music center, and I'm with a friend, Pastor Brian. He was here a couple weeks ago. And uh, we pulling up. And I'm already trying to figure out what floor this thing is on. I'm already, I'm all, I'm, I'm, I promise you, and I'm getting angry. Uh, I'm, and he's like, man, I think we go this way. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, let us plot and plan, right? Let us, let us, I need planning at this stage. I just can't walk. And potentially there's a flight of stairs that goes, no, it's not because I'm heavy. It's because I'm afraid. So there are. So there are different spots. Uh, fast forward. Uh, this week, uh, my family, my brother, my sister, we went to Asheville. We enjoyed it. Um, we went to the Biltmore Estate. Nice, nice. But they got something called stairs. And the stairs are open. And you can look down. I'm already plotting. Nope, I don't care what's up that stair. I'm not going. But here's where anxiety comes in. I'm already thinking that. I can't enjoy the beauty that I'm seeing for the impending danger that I'm projecting ahead. So I'm, li I'm listening to the lady, and she's like, yeah, this is the, the billiards room, and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And when you get to the second floor, nope, not going to happen. You know why? Because the stairs are open. And I feel like any reasonable person, you could fall. And if God didn't want, if God wanted me to enjoy heights, he would have made me a little bit taller than I am now. So this rationalize, I'm rationalizing this. Anxiety takes us away from what is true. And so we were forfeit an experience because we're living in the future and the future hasn't even happened yet. So what I'm realizing is, and this is what I was talking to Brian, I talked to my wife about, I said, I got to get this thing checked because I am missing out on opportunities to enjoy life because I won't confront. And now as uncomfortable as it is, I'm trying to figure out why is this anxiety when it comes to this particular area is dictating me. You mean to tell me you can't enjoy a waterfall because it's high? There are certain parts of our lives that we have crafted avoidance. We're just not going to confront it. We're just not going to deal with it. And that is impaired living. And because I'm a child of God and I want to live life full, I want to be able to look over a city as opposed to, Tanya, when you get there, take a picture. I don't want to live like that. 
I'm not talking about heights anymore. I'm talking about what is guiding us to lead and impair a life that we don't want to deal with. And so if anxiety takes us from what is true, this also leads us to become distrustful, impulsive, and controlling because anxiety robs us daily. There's always something lurking behind the corner. And so anxiety um, makes us seek after people to stop us from feeling the way we're feeling. So when I was immature, remember, I'm already plotting about this height thing, right? So now my wife is like, I want to go. We went to Hollywood. Man, that was your fault. But we went to Hollywood. It was crazy. Remember the little the thing going to the sign? And then Tanya was like, I want to see the sign. Do you know how high up that sign is? Are you crazy? And she's like, I want to see it. Now I'm mad. I mean, it's a Hollywood sign. Google it. So we're going up this thing. And she's like, I'm just going to get out. And I'm just going to get out. I'm going to walk over there. And it's like people are just enjoying themselves. And I'm not. And then it was like, I was cool. I'm, I'm, I'm checking, I'm praying. I got my gospel music on. So I'm checking stuff. And then that ranger, sir, you have to go up there and turn around. You got to keep it moving. Like the devil is a lie. Are you crazy? I'm not going any higher than what I'm going now. And now I'm mad at Tanya. If she didn't want to go see the Hollywood sign, I wouldn't be uh, looking over a cliff trying to figure out how I'm going to die and what, what tree I'm going to hit. And so I didn't, I didn't know who to call, so I called Tiffany. Tanya wanted to go see the Hollywood sign and take pictures. And now I'm up here. I don't know where I'm at. Got a term in an unfamiliar city. I'm on the West Coast. I ain't got no... So I'm just... All because I'm letting my anxiety dictate so I got to go down the mountain by myself. And then Gary, I got to come up the mountain by myself. And people are comfortable, which is ironic to me, driving in the mountains. So I'm like, and they looking at me like, go, go. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, like, and then Tanya comes out, she has her pictures. She's she got the whole thing going. And I'm just like this, man, I almost died. For that picture. That's imperial living. Because anxiety says control, control, control. Well, we need to let it go. And the truth behind anxiety is that the more we attempt to control it, the more we control in the attempt to settle ourselves, the more we have to do to control it. And it's never enough control because despite all things that we're doing, it's the internal enemy that's dictating. Full disclosure, anxiety is an internal enemy that works against us. And the internal enemy preaches a false gospel. And it tells you what could happen while robbing you of today. You're worthless. It connects dots and is the greatest conspiracy theorist ever. 
I should know better. And it forms narratives with just a little bit of information and takes past experiences and highlight them. See? See? So here you are. Here I am in this unfamiliar place. And instead of communicating my anxiety about this place, she becomes a collateral damage. My wife becomes a collateral damage because she's not afraid of heights. So why should I rob her of an opportunity because of my own anxiety? And, and so this is what we do. And, 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 and look, we do this constantly. And now if I don't get it checked, not only do I rob myself, I rob her. And now there's tension between us. She doesn't feel heard and neither do I. So when a person doesn't feel heard, their response is to hurt. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 34. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will, also, will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. So don't worry saying what will, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of God gives us a pathway to healing and dealing with anxiety. When you look at verses 19 through 23, don't store up yourselves treasures where moth and rust destroy. And where your treasure is, your heart is also. Um, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The first thing uh, we have to do to combat anxiety is, number one, evaluate your priorities. You'll be shocked how many of the things that we worry about um, can be directly connected to misplaced priorities. Give an example. So like many of us, our children struggled to, I'm 45, I'm 45 years old, and yet the gravity of a pandemic 
still troubled me. I still wrestled with it, couldn't figure out my footing. How much more with our kids? And oftentimes, um, you know, I, I, I had to shift how I parented during the pandemic. Because what I realized was the standards, and they're still there, the standards that I have for our household, for grades, for all of that, they are still there. But grades are not an identifier for our kids. It's an indicator, absolutely. But think about this. If we do not evaluate our priorities, we will never extend anyone grace. Let me show you. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Oftentimes, our priorities are centered around us. Don't store up for yourselves um, treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What are you holding on to that God is telling you to let go of? Relationships. Money. We spend a majority of our times at work. Think about how much time we spend working. I'm not saying quit your job and live on a farm. That's your thing. Knock yourself out. What I'm saying is our priorities determine our methods. Everything that we do, our priorities determine what we move and what we advance. If you're trying to get a new car, I promise you, you that's, that's what's going to consume you. If you're trying to, your priorities, my priorities, our priorities must be aligned with God's priorities. Second point, um, verse 24 through 32, no one can serve two masters. Um, you're going to hate one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Um, Don't worry about your life. He keeps telling us what you will eat, all those things, because life consists of things. And he says, so don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He says, the Gentiles, they eagerly seek all these things. Why? He says, consider the birds. He says, consider the the, um, wildflowers. Consider, consider, consider. Why is he saying that? Because point number two, remember who's ultimately in control. He is. God is in control. Sometimes our worry, what we worry about is beyond ourselves and we negate the fact that God is ultimately in control. The truth of the matter is God never abandons his people. And so what he's telling, that Jesus is telling his disciples, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around and then I want you to look up. God has brought us has brought you from, as the old folks used to say, a mighty long way. Knowing God is ultimately in control makes worry unnecessary. Worry won't change our situation. Verse number 27, can any of you add one moment to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about this? He's saying anxiety can be tied to unbelief. The question is, do we believe that God is in control? If God won't make it happen, neither can you. God is ultimately 
in control. Does that mean I don't have questions? No, because I got a lot of questions. Man, I got tons. But my faith is God is ultimately in control. And I must trust, we must trust that God knows what we need. And we must trust him to meet our needs. Verse number 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Verse number 34, therefore, don't worry because t- about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He constantly reminds, don't worry, don't worry, which sends a message to me. Worry is as human as anything else. Because he keeps reminding, don't worry, don't worry. Take no thought for your life. What do you mean don't take no thought for my life? Because God is ultimately in control. Don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What are you saying? My point number three, resist the temptation to build your own kingdom. Sometimes our response to attacks or pain is to build a moat around ourselves, to fortify our walls and place armed guards in in the attempt to either build our own kingdom or to protect what we have. It's only when I seek God's kingdom that I'm free from seeking my own. And sometimes we position ourselves to worry about things that God has told us not to worry about, therefore putting it in our hands to make it happen. When we allow our emotions to guide us, they are sitting where the Holy Spirit should be sitting. So we have built a throne to our emotions and our emotions are dictating what we should do. And that seat is reserved by, for the Holy Spirit because anxiety is enough to go around. It's the whole Oprah thing. You get anxiety. You get anxiety. We all get anxiety. But we have to resist the temptation to build our own kingdom. And I say it again, it's only when I seek God's kingdom that I'm free from seeking my own. That's why many of our brothers and sisters are so anxious about theories and all this other stuff because they actually believe they're losing something. And the reason why they believe they're losing it is because they're they're trying to build or keep their own kingdom. We're just rivers. Things flow through us. It was amazing to me. Transformation Church, Mike Todd, he gave $200,000 to the, the Tulsa, Oklahoma um, survivors of the massacre. And people were coming at him. How dare you? What? But when you are not seeking God's kingdom, you're seeking to build your own. And if you build your own, that means your assets are delegated to what you can produce. If our father is a king, if Jesus is king and our father owned a cattle on a thousand hills, everything I do in his name, he will meet. If it's his will, he pays the bill. And and so here's what's crazy. So when we say resist the temptation to build your own kingdom, that's also in relationships. 
Vulnerability is so risky because vulnerability says I don't have control. I am not projecting perfection. I'm not projecting. I am not in control. And who wants to be in relationship with me if I project that I'm broken? So it's easier to pretend that you're not when, remember the window, we see it. And, you're, and, and it's, it leaks from your words. I don't need anybody. Really? Anybody? So that means that absolute has now been negated, which means you need someone. And if I voice to you that I need you, Brother Tony, that means I'm putting my heart out. And you determine how you're going to carry it. So instead of saying, I need, nope, it's easier for me to build this moat, to build this wall, and to keep you out. And that castle, that castle that we are building has become my prison. And now the self-fulfilling prophecy is, don't nobody love me. We can't. We can't get close to you. And so that's why when we talk about resist the temptation to build your own kingdom, it simply means that if we're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we are seeking another kingdom. And that's the root of anxiety. When we take things in, uh, when we take things into our own hands, what are we saying? We're saying, I got it. Everybody needs helps. Just like the crying baby outside. Everybody. Okay. Wasn't funny then. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. Welcome back, my brother. I got one laugh. I'll take it. Philippians 4 and 6. Don't be worried about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Could it be that the reason we are worried about everything is that we're not taking anything to God? Could it be the reason why we're concerned about the things that are in our fingertips is because we believe that it's up for us to make it happen? Could it be the reason why we're strategizing so much, not under the unction of the Holy Spirit? It's because, and when we feel so, our, our uh, identity is so connected with what we see it's because we really don't trust or take, we don't trust God or take it to God. Don't be worried about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition. This is crazy. With thanksgiving. That don't make any sense. So I'm worried about stuff, and now through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Maybe we take stuff to God, but we don't take the thanksgiving part of it. Because the thanksgiving part reveals how grateful we are. Give you an example. Uh, I was reading a friend about a friend who just got diagnosed with cancer. And he said, 
you know, I want y'all to pray. I believe God for healing. And I'm thankful they found it. Because he could live with it and be taken suddenly. He's thankful, grateful. Friend of mine, high school friend of mine, my age, died this week. And as the condolences were coming in, I had so many questions. Man, like, how, why, young? It's hard to be thankful. I'm, 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 li- I'm listening to a sister. She says, I'm thankful that we all got to experience Dexter. Thankfulness, gratefulness. It's being able, in spite of everything, being able to look around, to look up, and to understand. Man, I'm thankful. Volunteer at the Sherry House. We call him the bread man because he delivers bread. You would think we'd get more creative. I didn't even know his real name. But he says he was ringing the bell, his last chemo treatment. He says, oh, man, chemo was hard on my body. Chemo was hard, took my hair, took my eyebrows. He was just naming stuff. And he's texting me. He said, but I'm thankful that I get to spend a few more years with my family. Tragedy has a way of focusing you, especially when you're in the when you know God. So I'm, I'm using somewhat extreme examples, but I alluded to it before. My sons went through the pandemic, learning school through a computer, and it was hard. And dad was like this. Until I realized none of us know what we're doing. I got 45 years of experience and I'm lost. Well, put that into the hands of a 20-year-old, a 15-year-old. Kids who can't explain don't have the emotional intelligence to explain what this new thing I mean, you sitting in church with a mask. Things are different. And there's so much to be anxious about. But I think what, the, what, what Jesus was referring to is not just persecution, because that's what the disciples were going to face, not just persecution, however, but how life can throw at you stuff that you, are, you and I are not prepared for. And what that thing does for us, it should, is reevaluate our priorities. Now, I'm more concerned about their grades or their emotional health. 
Am I more concerned about the gathering of God's people than I am with the caring of God's people? What are we anxious? What are you anxious about? And how is robbing you of living in the moment? Because when I got the news of my friend, I was got some other news and some more news and some more news. I was sharing with my wife. She said something, man, that don't let it ruin now. In other words, Dexter loved people and Dexter lived. He don't want me to die. He wants me to live. He lived for. He's been all around the world. And his impact is felt. So whatever we're faced with, whatever the challenges that we have, Psalms 46 and 1 sums it up perfectly. God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. God's power moves. God's power becomes more obvious in areas where we are the weakest. Pastor Antoine is really getting to our hearts. He reminds us to evaluate our priorities, that God is in control, and to always resist the temptation to build your own kingdom. If you or someone you know is blessed by anything you hear on this podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you're anywhere near Charlotte or the surrounding areas, won't you stop on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Or you can join us every Sunday at 1033 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to us and follow us on Instagram under Think Kingdom. And as always, you can go back, hear this message, so much more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.